Hello and welcome to Tech Weekly, a podcast by City AM, where we explore the latest developments in the worlds of tech, crypto, fintech and beyond. I'm Nassim Silva, and joining me today as ever are City AM reporters Charlie Conchi and Lily Russell-Jones. Today, Lily will be talking to us about Warner Music Group's foray into blockchain gaming and crypto exchange FTX launching its own gaming division, which will offer support for NFTs and crypto. But first, Charlie and Lily will be chatting to Innovate Finance CEO Janine Hurt about why the organisation has been trying to get the UK government to overhaul current fintech regulation. So Charlie, tell us a bit more. Yes, so this week marks a year on from the landmark Khalifa review of the fintech sector, which was commissioned by the Treasury last year to sort of look at how government could supercharge uh, fintech and how the UK could kind of retain its place as a fintech hub beyond Brexit. Um, and we are very pleased today to be joined by Janine Hurt, boss of Innovate Finance, the UK's fintech trade body, which helped mastermind the report last year. Hi, Janine. Hi, Charlie. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you with us. Um, so I wondered just as a, a bit of a kicking off point, whether you could take us back to the Khalifa review, what it kind of aimed to achieve, what its key recommendations were and how it really came to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't believe it's already been a year. I have to say time flies. But ultimately, it was, as you mentioned, commissioned by the Chancellor to look at how we could continue to create an environment here in the UK that uh, enabled fintech to grow and to thrive and really to enable the UK to be one of the best places to start, grow and build a fintech business. Um, and we served as Innovate Finance as the co-secretariat for the review alongside the City of London. So worked very closely with Ron Khalifa, worked very closely in terms of bringing together the ecosystem to feed into the priority areas uh, and make the recommendations about what had to be done in order to further strengthen the ecosystem here as well. So here we are a year on, um, and I know you you kind of convened a lot of fintechs this week and put out a letter on what your sort of read was on the progress so far, where you feel that um, progress could kind of be ramped up. So could you give us a bit of an overview of what you feel those recommendations um, have been like and how they have been acted on and where you think um, some action needs to be taken? Yeah, I think absolutely. And firstly, I would say that as a whole, the ecosystem and myself and Innovate Finance have been incredibly pleased to see substantial progress and considerable progress made on a number of the recommendations put out in the review across all of the chapters. So in terms of uh, investment, but also international, national skills and talent and policy and regulation as well. We, I remember way back, just a couple of weeks after the review was launched, we actually heard from the Chancellor about the scale up visa, which was announced at IFGS in 2021 at UK FinTech Week, which was great movement, great momentum. We've seen a lot of work since then in terms of revamping the listing rules coming from HMT and the FCA. So very positive progress in terms of creating and continuing to create an environment here that's potentially more conducive for IPOs in the fintech space. Um, and we've seen quite a lot of movement uh, across the board in terms of supporting the different fintech hubs throughout the United Kingdom. Off the back of review, a number of hubs uh, came forward with both long-term and short-term fintech strategies to help bolster uh, their, their already strong fintech ecosystems as well. 
But there's always more to be done. And I think particularly when coming from the fintech standpoint, where so many of our founders are pushing the boundaries, wanting to see even more progress in terms of financial innovation more broadly, um, we are really emphasizing the fact that in order for us to continue to be a leader in fintech, we have to keep the momentum going. And keep pushing at this forward momentum, continuing to see strong support from government, from the regulators, and very importantly, working together, regulators, government, and industry to try and ensure that we maintain and we further develop this environment. I think there's quite a more to be there's quite a bit more to be done in terms of a regulatory framework uh, that both enables innovation to thrive, but also still protects the end consumer. It's very important to remember that at the end of the day, these new innovations, these new players, these new technologies are actually benefiting the person on the street um, if they're executed in a way that makes sure that protects them as well. So finding that balance is, is very, very core. So you talked a bit about there about um, kind of the engagement from government. Um, and I wondered if you could just go into a bit more of, of what that kind of engagement has been like, whether those conversations have been ongoing throughout the year and, and whether you really feel as, as engagement is there as strongly as you would like it to be. I mean, we've, we've seen very positive engagement from government and from regulators. Um, we have specifically in terms of different departments across government worked with HMT, worked with the Chancellor, with the EST as well, worked with DCMS. We have worked very closely with DIT. And something I should have mentioned earlier was looking at their export um, academy and looking at the fintech champions that they've put into play was also a really great success that came out of the, the Khalifa review in terms of building on those recommendations. I've also, we've worked with number 10 as well. So you get this sense and this feeling that there is a broad understanding across many government departments about how important fintech is to the UK as a whole. I think what we would love to see is an even further joined up approach across the different government departments when it comes to supporting fintech. And that's something that we've been advocating for a while. But we have seen phenomenal engagement, I would say, in terms of listening to the ecosystem. Um, the regulators are similar uh, in terms of really, really listening to the ecosystem and listening to the fintechs. I think what we just want to make sure is that we are now in a position where we are coming out of the pandemic. We are also in a post-Brexit environment. So there is actually a phenomenal opportunity for us in the UK to take advantage of this scenario and move ahead quickly on regulation that can support innovation. So we do not want uh, to be stalled. And we want to make sure that the FCA has the culture, has the capability, all the regulators have the culture and the capability to be able to do that. Um, you know, we've seen over the past few months, buy now, pay later, you have a group that are essentially crying out to be regulated. We'd love to see a bit of a quicker pace on that as well. We'd love to see industry and government and regulators come together to really set a crypto strategy for the UK. This is an area we can lead in globally, um, and we don't want to rest on our laurels around that. But just making sure that we have the pace coming out of the regulators is really important to us. On your point about crypto, I know you've been calling for a regulatory regime for digital assets in the UK. What potential would that have for the fintech industry? I think it's interesting because when one looks at crypto, it's almost a reflection of different areas of innovation where it's so important that we protect the consumer. But at the same time, it is an area of innovation that can in many ways benefit wider society, benefit businesses and benefit the consumer. So 
If we bring it into the regulatory framework, we have a much better chance of making sure that individuals and retail and SMEs benefit from utilizing this new technology as opposed to being turned towards potentially unethical actors. Um, so it, it's critical that we all, all come together and work on this. I mean, we're seeing some really interesting work being done, of course, by the PRA, the Bank of England, when it comes to their crypto strategy in terms of CBDCs. Um, we saw, of course, the report a few weeks ago that came out from the House of Lords, which raised a lot of important questions about the retail side of CBDCs and the impact. And those are questions which we as industry have to answer. But there's also a consideration which is we, we potentially need to look at wholesale as being one of the first use cases for CBDCs. And there's some opportunity there for the UK to take both a global leadership position um, and and really stand at the forefront of that as well. And we don't want to miss that opportunity either. So do you worry at all, you know, that when the report came back from the House of Lords, it didn't exactly look like a sort of glowing endorsement. Do you worry at all that there will be pushback from um, government at all? Is there is there appetite for change in this area? Well, I think there's a recognition uh, that it's an important area to explore. And that has been really as an example or as a testament to that has been the fact that we have seen the uh, the crypto group un- up and running between the Bank of England and HMT as well. So that movement and that progress forward, we've been incredibly pleased to see. I think the questions that came up at the House of Lords, um, it is important that we as industry also address those concerns. And that's a responsibility on ourselves in order to educate uh, and inform. Um, but making sure that that report, for example, doesn't stifle the progress that we could see going forward is, is quite important as well. So if we look at the sort of distinct chapters of the uh, the review last year, and I know, as you mentioned, investment was a major part of that and how uh, the sector can kind of encourage investment. And there is still that sort of funding gap for growth businesses that does exist, which was identified in the review. Um, I wonder if you could sort of give us a sense of whether that funding gap is looking like it is closing, whether there are more needs to be done there to to really close that and make sure that growth businesses can get the funding they need. I think there's a real opportunity here for all of us to do more in terms of addressing the funding gap. Um, And I think I I mentioned earlier, but obviously we've seen some very, very strong progress in terms of the capital and the investment side. So we were quite pleased to see the creation of a golden share for founders, um, also the reduction in the minimum free float requirement were all aspects that have strengthened our environment here for listings and for IPOs and made the UK more attractive. When we think about the growth funding, um, the part of the conversation that comes up continually over and over again is around how do we drive institutional investment and greater domestic institutional investment into fintech. There is a massive opportunity here um, for for us to be both supporting a sector, but also for people to benefit from from that investment as well. So the more we can do in trying to adjust the mentality, adjust the mindset of domestic institutional investors here in the UK to look at fintech as a key segment is really important to us as well. In terms of international competitiveness, where does the UK stand? Is it considered an attractive environment for fintechs or does it lag behind? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, And I think if you look back to what many think of as one of the first initial you know, initial, initial start of the fintech ecosystem, so the post-2007-2008 financial crisis, 
you know, one of the reasons that the UK was such a strong leader and became such a strong leader was because of the industry that we had here, but actually it was also because of the proactiveness of our regulators. So things like the sandbox, the regulatory sandbox that the FCA launched in 2015, 2016 time has now been replicated by, I think, nearly 50 countries around the world. So those types of initiatives, that type of engaging with innovation on a different level is absolutely core. And we were so pleased to see uh, the creation of the scale box, which was also one of the recommendations that came out of the Khalif review. I know that is moving ahead, very positive progress on that. But what we have to emphasize is that now is the time for us to keep going. So we don't want to stop, but we want to make sure that we're moving in the right direction and making sure that there is this understanding that innovation is benefiting the end consumer, be that retail, be that an SME. Um, it, it is about creating better experiences for the end clients at the end of the day. So when we talk about protecting consumers as the role of the FCA, that is very critical, but we also need to make sure about how do they benefit and, and thriving innovation and supporting innovation is core to that as well. So can, can you just go a bit more into what the, because I know regulatory sandbox was as you said, one of the big successes and something has been picked up. Can you give a bit of a, a sort of bit more detail on what that really enables fintechs to do and why that has been one of the sort of things that the FCA has been so keen to take forward? I think the sandbox was great because it essentially enabled new firms to trial new technology in a safe space and to work with the regulator to do so. Because it's not an easy challenge to try and regulate uh, new, new technologies, new products. And there is, of course, a situation where, where one has to recognize it's, it's not always going to work to bring new technology into regulation that has worked in the past for other types of technology or other products. So the scale, the, the sandbox offered this opportunity. And what we're seeing now with the scale box is actually a way that we are supporting firms that are scaling and the regulators supporting them in their scaling journey. So it is, it is very difficult to say that a challenger bank or a disruptor bank should have the same types or the same types of teams in place as a large incumbent financial services institution. They have different challenges. They have challenges that align with scaling and growing. And there has to be a way for the FCA to engage with them and support them on that growth journey. So support them as they scale, not support them to scale. And ultimately, the scale box we're hopeful is, is setting out to do just that. So do you think, I think you sort of touched there on um, just the question previously on the kind of championing fintech and saying that it has a sort of role to play in benefiting consumers. Do you still think there is a bit of a, a sort of breakdown in communication there? Do you think there's still a barrier to really say to consumers, this is how fintech can benefit your life, your sort of financial predicament? Is that something you're sort of working on? Is that something top of your agenda? You know, interestingly, we have in the UK, and you, you know this, but we have in the UK one of the highest adoption rates in the world for fintech. So we have, I think, a 71% adoption rate before COVID. Now, post-COVID, it's around 76%. Eight out of 10 UK citizens are using a fintech app. Um, so I think there's a broad recognition that fintech has the power to create a more democratic financial services space. What we want to do is make sure that that is understood at all levels so that it is understood both by the consumer, but it's also held in regard by the regulators and by government. And, and that's a core priority for us as well. So if we were to say chat again in a year's time and we're two years on from the review, what would your kind of um, 
what would you like to see? What would you need to see pushed forward, do you think, in the next year? So I think there are a few areas. Uh, we would love to see a joined up approach to fintech across all of the government departments. Uh, we would also love to see a coherent uh, strategy towards things like crypto, a vision for artificial intelligence as well. Uh, and we'd like to see just this continued momentum and actually continued support that we are, are currently seeing from government and from the regulators and more collaboration between industry, government and regulators to make sure that the UK stays the best place to start, scale and build a fintech business. I also think it's important that as we look forward, there is a recognition of how critical a role fintech has in terms of being one of the key soft and hard pillars for the UK going forward, hard power pillars, I should say. So ultimately, if you look at the UK's identity in a post-Brexit, post-COVID environment, fintech can be a, re a real key pillar of our soft power and our high hard power on the global stage. So making sure that that is recognized, understanding our leadership role and also the influence that we can have on a global basis through the strength of our fintech ecosystem is really important as well. And if you were to say in the next year as well, do you, what are the kind of threats, do you think, to progress, say, in the industry? Do you think there are many sort of headwinds facing fintechs or like there are all businesses at the moment? I think we want to make sure the progress is installed and that it keeps going. Uh, I think we do want to make sure that the regulators are maintaining this balance between protecting the consumer, but also enabling innovation to thrive. So we don't want to see a stifling of innovation through regulation. Um, and we also want to make sure that at, at a broader level, there continues to be this support for financial innovation and an understanding that it is creating a more inclusive financial services system. It's creating a more democratic financial services system, really, that is better and more effective and more efficient for everyone. So Lily, what's caught your attention this week in the world of crypto? So this week, there have been a couple of stories about growing ties between crypto and gaming. So yesterday, Warner Music Group, which represents musicians like Ed Sheeran, Jolipa, Bruno Mars and Coldplay, said it was partnering with a blockchain-based gaming company called Splinterlands. And apparently, we could see Warner Music artists creating their own play-to-earn blockchain games, which means that they might reward people for playing with a crypto token. Another story that came out of this space this week is that the crypto exchange FTX is planning to launch a gaming division. I spoke to the president of FTX, Brett Harrison, who said that the unit will have two main aims. Firstly, they're trying to identify companies for FTX to snap up or invest in. So remember, FTX launched a massive $2 billion VC fund recently. So this will tie into their plans for investments. And secondly, they want to provide tech and services for companies which are looking to integrate. NFTs, blockchain technology, or crypto tokens into games. Uh, this is really a sign of how interested companies are becoming in the possible synergies between crypto and gaming. So quite a lot of excitement there. Mm. So are crypto and gaming a natural fit then? Well, apparently so. Harrison thinks there's a multi-billion dollar market opportunity here to integrate crypto into gaming. Um, one of the things he said is that Gaming is a compelling use case for blockchain because users are already buying and selling in-game items such as logins for characters that they've leveled up and created. And they're also already earning in-game currencies and then using them to purchase items like skins or avatars or anything else in the game. And so it's quite easy to imagine that in-game currency being swapped for a crypto token. And what FTX wants to do in addition to that is bring those 
those items into real world markets by creating price discovery mechanisms. So if you're a gamer and you've picked up a rare item in that game, you could earn an income by selling it as an NFT, for example, um, in exchange for crypto or even fiat currency. So like pounds mm. um, in order to earn an income. What are some of the main drawbacks to this, do you think? Well, I think that the idea of unifying gaming and crypto has already seen plenty of pushback. So mm. a UK-based gaming company called Team17 was planning to launch an NFT game called MetaWorms. And within 24 hours of announcing it, they had to withdraw it because they received so much fan backlash. Mm. Um, I think detractors of crypto and gaming kind of coming together say that it's terrible for the environment. So certain forms of crypto mining are really heavily energy intensive. So why integrate that with a large scale industry like gaming? Mm. Secondly, gaming is supposed to be a level playing field. So if you can buy certain special items on external markets using crypto um, or pounds or fiat, then that gives higher income players an advantage. Although I'd say to an extent that already exists because of in-game purchases um, that you can make using using real-world currencies. Um, and thirdly, I think games that target a mass audience, it's potentially irresponsible to be pushing crypto onto gamers who will be kind of of all ages and investment experience. And these games are potentially going to create incentives for people to hold and trade speculative crypto assets like NFTs. Um, so I think that's seen as quite a big problem. So in the UK, that's kind of exactly the situation that the regulators are trying to avoid. So the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, said it's planning to class crypto assets as restricted mass market products for advertising purposes. So what that means is they're trying to ensure that only high net worth individuals or sophisticated investors are exposed to asset adverts for products which are considered to be risky. Mm. When I spoke to Harrison, he said, that he certainly hears a lot of criticism about this, but he thinks that there's kind of a range of possible ways to unify crypto and gaming. And on the one hand, you could see it happen in quite a benign way, which will just be kind of fun to play for users who can earn like currencies from doing so. Um, and on the other hand, he he said that he can see that, you know, you might be drawing people into crypto trading in a way that would be irresponsible. Um, he said that what FTX wants to do is promote a healthy interaction between blockchain technology um, and gaming, but but obviously it remains to be seen exactly what that would look like. And that's all we have time for today. Thanks to Janine Hurt for coming on the podcast and special thanks to Lily and Charlie for their contributions. See you next week.